Hello, welcome to Caregiver's Haven, a podcast helping families who are caregivers of a loved one with a mental illness gain peace of mind. Even though this is a podcast focused on family caregivers of the mentally ill, much of the discussion can be helpful to any caregiver. Your host is Sandra. She is a family caregiver sharing her lived experiences and hopes to provide education, support, and resources to other families. Hey, caregivers, how are you today? I hope you're all taking time to get some rest and relax and rejuvenate. As I said last week, it is Caregivers Month. I'm so excited. November is Caregivers Month. And so each week on Caregivers Haven Podcast, I have a caregiver coming to share their caregiving journey with you. And today we have Trey. Trey, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us. So Trey Kearney is an author, speaker, and certified life coach. Trey coaches women through, dev- through the devastation of infidelity. She's an advocate of Black men's health and mental wellness. And she's also very passionate about the importance of autism awareness in our communities. So she's a very, very busy woman. I'm so happy that she took some time out to hang with us today. And she's with us because as busy as she is, she is the caregiver of an autistic son. And so she is here to share her caregiving journey with us. Thank you so much, Dre. Thank you for having me. All right. Can you um, can you start off by just telling us a little bit about autism in case our listeners out there don't know what that is? Yes, um, autism is a neurological um, deficiency. Um, It affects uh, social uh, behavior. Like my son is 11 years old. He's nonverbal. He's never spoken a word, ever spoken a word. He um, got potty trained at nine years old. Um, He started feeding himself around three years old. And it's just, um, he just thinks differently. He just learns differently. And a lot of people don't understand autism because you really can't understand it until you experience it. Like um, sometimes when we're out to him and he doesn't acknowledge them and they think that he's being rude, but actually he doesn't understand the concept of um, greeting someone. He's actually learning now. He's starting to wave at people now when they wave. So um, it really is just, a, a, you know, a different way of thinking. And if more people understood autism, I think we would have more compassion for caregivers of those who actually uh, deal with children and adult children on the spectrum. I have an 11-year-old who is on the spectrum, and I also have a 20-year-old who's on the spectrum. He's just functioning. He, he's verbal. He does everything on his own. He just has a uh, difficulty with organizing things. So he's not ready to live on his own yet either. Wow. Okay. So you have two sons. So that I'm sure that's really, really busy. So, so you're, you said your son has never spoken a word. What, how did you um, notice that there was a problem? Like how old was he when you noticed that something was different? Um, he was around 18 months. Uh, I really, he was really just the best baby ever. Like he was no problem at all. He was too good to be true. Like he never cried. 
you know, at, when a child gets to be a certain age, they want to be picked up. So every time you walk past them, they, they normally reach out their arms. He never, yes, I suspected he had autism around 18 months. I, I suspected something was wrong around 18 months because back then um, I had never really experienced autism. I have two other sons who are 26 and 20. So autism wasn't really prevalent back then. It was, but we didn't really know what it was in our community. So when he was in his crib, he would never reach out to be picked up. Um, he didn't require much attention. He was very self-sufficient. He didn't pay attention to the mobile in his crib. He didn't pay attention to a lot of toys. And he would stand on his head a lot around 18 months, like always on his head. So I actually took him to his pediatrician who wasn't a um, special needs pediatrician, a, de a developmental pe pediatrician. And he told me I was overreacting. So any parents who are listening who have children who they suspect that something's just not right, go with your gut instinct, even if nothing is wrong. But I was persistent in telling him that, no, there is something wrong because this is something different. And he said, well, you know, all children are different. I said, no, no, there's something. And then I reached out to early childhood development in my community and I got a diagnosis for him around 18 months, 24, 18 to 24 months, we had, we had early childhood intervention coming to the home. And it was a woman that I first dealt with his first uh, therapist who was a, a very much older white woman who said, yeah, he's definitely autistic. And we started our journey from there. Wow. So from the time that you like really, really noticed something was happening until he was diagnosed, it was about six months. From 18 months to 24 months, you were trying to get help before he actually got a diagnosis. Yes, that was that was the journey. It's, yeah. it's a journey of finding out because it's kind of sort of hard to find out because, you know, even though they're not making their milestones, it could just be um, they could be um, delayed with their speech because a lot of people say, well, maybe he just has delayed speech. But mm -hmm. I was persistent and, and consistent on finding out what the issue was because I knew I was caring for him more than a normal two-year-old. We don't like to say normal and, and, you know, the autism community, but I say normal for people who are listening, who don't understand, you know, um, atypical or autistic or on the spectrum. So quote unquote, I'm making the quote signs, a, a normal child. There are things I have to do with him that do with him. Yeah. And I can, you know, I, I used to work in pediatric ICU and I can see how initially um, it can be hard to get a diagnosis because there are so many, um, there are so many other illnesses that, like you said, it could, it could be hearing loss. It could be um, mental retardation. There are right. so many other things that it could be. So I can see how it would be difficult to come up with a diagnosis it's not, I know some people probably get frustrated with that, but I can kind of see how that would happen. Um, yes. And it's same. You know, I, I have, I have a loved one with a mental illness and it's the same with a mental illness. It's not, um, it's not easy to get a diagnosis, you know, and it, it can be very, very frustrating when they're changing the meds around or yes. you go to one doctor and they say, Oh, it's this. And you go to another, it's, Oh, it's that. But when I read, um, when I read about it in the DSM, the diagnostic um, manual for uh, mental illnesses, there are certain things that have to happen over a period of time before they can actually say it's this specific diagnosis. And so when you're dealing with a, a young child, a, you know, an 18 month old baby, 
who can't speak for themselves, you can see how that can be very difficult to diagnose. Yes, a mental illness and and just things that are dealing with um, developmental delays on a spectrum, ADHD, uh, mental illness. These are invisible conditions. So people don't take them as serious as uh, a cancer or people don't take them as serious as diabetes or obesity because you can't see it. So a lot of times insurance companies as well, it's a struggle because it's, it's an unseen illness and it's, it's mental. So it gets frustrating from that standpoint as well, because you can't see it doesn't mean that it does not exist because you see a person, my son looks like a typical child. He, if you see him, you would never even think that anything was wrong until he doesn't mm-hmm. respond to you. So it can, that can be nerve wracking and that can be frustrating as well because people just don't get it. So they thinking, they think what they want to think. And, and I'm not mad at people because I used to be that person. Like I used to see children in the um, supermarket acting up and I'd be like, wow, you know, she needs to take control of the situation. You know, she, you know, spank him, get him, do something. Mm-hmm. And now I'm that parent that they're looking at because he's not doing, he's not being bad. He's having a, a sensory meltdown because uh, this, for people who don't really understand what autism is, if you could just imagine every sense like we have our senses, we have see, hear, touch, taste, smell. If you can imagine all of those things going off at one time, just imagine your child sitting in a cart in the supermarket and he can hear the wheel squeaking and he can hear the, the lights tweaking and he can hear another child crying. He can smell the bread bacon in the bakery and he can smell the meat in the deli department. He can smell the spoiled milk. He can feel his shirt touching him. His shoe is sticking him. Um, he, he can, has a bad taste and all of these things are going off at the same time. Things that we don't even hear in the supermarket, things that we don't even smell. He's having a sensory meltdown and people don't understand that. And, you know, it's plenty of times I just had to leave my cart and be like, okay, I'm going to come back. Let me just get out of here. Cause he was mm-hmm. just having a moment. So if people could just yeah. understand the, the frustration of not only the child, but the frustration of the caregiver. That, that's frustrating. And, and early on, it can also be embarrassing uh, until you, you know, finally come to terms with this is not embarrassing. My child is not doing this on purpose. At the mm-hmm. beginning stages, it can be very embarrassing for, for the mother or the, the grandfather or the father, whoever the caregiver is. It can be very embarrassing and very frustrating. But you get to a point as mothers and, and parents where the love outweighs the embarrassment and you just look at people and you just keep it moving. But when you right. see a child in the supermarket or a child somewhere in anywhere in a restaurant and grow wherever, just have compassion and understand that just because you don't see a mental illness or just because you don't see autism or just because a child looks normal, sometimes that's just not the case. Right. And um, a couple of things you said, you know, are very huge for people. I tell people all the time, you know, there are several illnesses, autism, uh, mental illness, where if somebody has a broken arm, you can see them in a cast and you know that their arm is broken. Or if you have diabetes, there's a blood test that can diagnose diabetes. But for autism, mental illness, you see it took you six months to get a diagnosis. It's not, it's not some easy lab test that you can just go and say, oh, they have autism or, oh, they have mental illness. It's not like that. And so um, it's hard for other people on the outside looking in, you know, same thing with my family members. If you saw them, you wouldn't know. And I mean, I I have several family members with some of the um, 
severe mental illnesses. And even though they call it severe mental illness, if you see them, most people probably think they should look like a homeless person walking down the street. Well, they don't look like that, but they have some big time, big time things going on. And it's, and it's very difficult. And just like there's stigma in mental illness, I hear you saying the same thing with autism, that there's a stigma, you know, people look at the kids and they're, you know, they're critical or judgmental. Mm -hmm. um, stigma as far as family members being embarrassed about some of the behavior, you know, with mental illness, same thing. Some mm -hmm. of the behavior is so erratic, you know, you can be embarrassed by it, you know, but it, it causes just even more stigma. The more the more that we're embarrassed and ashamed and all of those things, it, it just creates more and more stigma within yes. the family, in addition to the people who are on the outside looking in. And that, you know, that's huge. That's one of the big things that I try to fight for all of the illnesses similar to this for the caregivers is um, to end that stigma, because then the caregivers would have a lot of relief, I would think, if we can just get rid of that. Yes, I believe that as well. So um, what, when you started caring for him as a baby, like what was your biggest fear in the beginning? My, my biggest fear in the beginning when I found out he had autism is that um, he wouldn't um, be able to function on his own and that I would have to care for him forever, that he wouldn't have a normal life uh, again, quote unquote, normal life. Because what is a normal life, really? We all have, mm -hmm. we all have, we all have certain issues. I have my own issues. I'm sure you have your own issues, whether it be uh, arthritis or migraines, whatever it may be. I had to look at it from a different standpoint. Of this is his journey, and this is th these are the things that he has to deal with. I have things that I have to deal with myself. And he will overcome and he's overcome a lot of things. Like I said, he didn't feed himself until he was three, but he feeds himself now. He wasn't potty trained until mm. he was nine, but he's potty trained now. I mean, I still have to help him wipe, of course, because he doesn't understand that concept. But that's part of the caregiving. Mm -hmm. I still have to um, shower. I still have to give him a shower. Um, we're, we're trying mm -hmm. to work on him showering himself because he's he'll be 12 years old now. He has pubic hair. I mean, I don't really want to be in the bathroom with him anymore. But it is what it mm -hmm. is. These things are starting to develop. He's starting to become a young man. He'll be a teenager in, a, in another year. And um, these are all, I have to, I, I tell people this, they're like, what is it like to care to be a caregiver for a child with autism? It's, it's like, I'm two people. It's, they're two of me. Everything that I have to do for me, I have to do for him. You know what I'm saying? When I shower, mm -hmm. I got to shower him. And I have bad back mm -hmm. issues from, you know, bending down, picking up, dressing him, putting his shoes on. You know, I have to think for him like I'm thinking for myself. I have to make sure that his sock is not bending his toe. Like when I put my sock on, I know it's not bending my toe, but I know when it is. He may he may not get that. So he may be having a meltdown because his his the tongue of his shoe is not right. So I have to adjust the tongue mm -hmm. of his shoe. I have to make sure his sock is pulled up the right way. I have to make sure I there's no tag in his shirt. I have all of these things that I would do for myself, it's like I'm doubled down and on doing it for him as well as his caregiver. Everything, like, like every it's just Everything. two of me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just a double person, right. and he it's just in another body, <laughs> like combing his hair, brushing his teeth, showering, wiping him, cleaning up after yeah. him when he eats. You know, I just had it's just a double me. So I was going to ask you, what was your biggest frustration in the beginning? 
I'll still ask you, what is your big, what was your biggest frustration in the beginning? My biggest frustration at the beginning was a doctor trying to tell me that there was nothing wrong, that, that I was tripping. Like, mm -hmm. I'm like, mm -hmm. no, sir. No, I'm not. I know that, but I've learned along my journey that he was just a regular pediatrician. So when now hindsight is 2020, of course, because I knew nothing about autism, but I would tell other parents now to make sure it's a developmental pediatrician that understands or a, neuro a neurologist or if you suspect something you can take your child beyond the pediatrician because a lot of times the pedi regular mm -hmm. pediatricians just don't know and I'm saying some of them are a little more versed now because of the number of children who have autism now but there's still a number of them that just don't know that's going to tell you oh no you just overreact and give them some time I would suggest that I would rather be wrong then find out later on that I'm right. So I would suggest that parents, if you feel right. like there's something wrong, if it, if you're wrong, your child is just going to get some extra ABA, some extra early development, early developmental help, and they're just going to excel. So I'd rather be sure than wrong in the end. And my child has missed so much time because it's so important. Like any other illness, like any, it's so important. Early intervention, just like breast cancer, mm -hmm. is the same thing with mental illness. Getting your loved one, whether it be mental illness, autism, ADA, getting your loved one the medication that they may need, or the services that they may need, or the extra help that they may need, is so very detrimental when to find out at earlier than later. Right. Absolutely, I totally agree with that. Um, do you think your fears and frustrations have changed? So at the beginning, you said that you were concerned about him not being able to function or having a normal life and that your frustration was the doctor saying nothing is wrong. So do you feel like your fears and frustrations have changed now at this point? Yeah, they've totally shifted because for me, I had to shift my mindset of what if I, what if he has to stay with me? It's that's fine. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. I, he could live with me forever if he, if he needs to. Because that fear was mm -hmm. a fear of the unknown because I've never, you know, I've never been here before. I've never been down this path before. I have a 26-year-old who lives on his own now. And really, I wish he still lived at home because I hardly ever see him. I mean, I don't really want him to come back. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying, <laughs> please, he might listen to this. Mom don't want you to come back. Right. But my 20-year-old, um, he's also on the spectrum. And I see he's not ready right now at 20 and I'm okay with him being home. Like he has his, you know, he has his space. Jermaine has his space and I can help them along the journey to prepare them for life, whether they need to stay with me or whether they need to go on their own. But I'm very real with both of them. Like I'm very real with them. Like the world is not going to have compassion for you. The world is not going to, mm -hmm. you know, you know, I make Jermaine wait sometimes because he can be impatient and not understanding to wait. But one day I may not be here. And when you're at school or when you're out in the real world, they don't care about your autism. They're not going to wait. They're mm -hmm. not going to cater to you. So these are the things that I have to work on with them as their caregiver to prepare them for the real world, because there's a real world out there. And the real world is very, very cruel. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Unfortunately, I mean, it's, it's, it's sad, but yeah, that's absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. So we've talked a lot about your son and autism. Um, right now, I have two quotes that I want to read to you. And I want you to tell me what they mean to you, okay. to you as, as a caregiver. 
Um, the first one is self-care is not about self-indulgence. It's about self-preservation. And that Audre Lorde said that. And then the second one is rest and self-care are so important. When you take time to replenish your spirit, it allows you to serve others from the overflow. You cannot serve from an empty vessel. And that's from Eleanor Brown. So tell me, how do those resonate with you? They resonate with me because as caregivers, we um, take on the world and we forget to care for ourselves. And it is so important and so detrimental to the care of those we care for to care for ourselves and to tell ourselves when we need a moment and to be honest with ourselves that I'm tired. And, and I have this conversation with a lot of autism moms and even, um, you know, other people who have cared for loved ones. Cause I also care for my mom who had breast cancer who passed away 15 years ago. I had, we had this conversation because when my mom passed away, I was relieved that she died and I felt guilt because I wasn't happy that she died, but I was tired. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And I feel the same mm -hmm. way sometimes about my boys. Like I'm, I feel like I don't want to be an autism mother anymore, you know? And it's not because I don't want my children or I don't love my children or I'm going to stop caring for them, but we have the right as caregivers to be merciful and compassionate with ourselves, to have those moments, those mental moments to say, dang, I don't want to do this anymore. In that moment, that, that self-care, mm -hmm. to be able to relieve that from my mind or to write it in a journal or to tell another parent and to not feel bad or guilty about that. There are so many levels of self-care that we don't do as caregivers because we don't want to feel like we don't care. Like we have to right. stop and take, 20 minutes a day or if it's five minutes because sometimes you don't get 20 to go outside mm -hmm. on your porch and stand there and breathe or 15 minutes to right. go sit in your car and just listen to a song and cry if you need to or scream in your basement whatever it is self-care is important for us because if we will be taken down. I've ended up in the hospital a couple of times just from not caring for myself, dehydrated. I passed out in front of my boys, just straight up passed out because I was so busy caring for them and working at the same time that I was just dehydrated. I didn't even realize that I wasn't nourishing my body. So those quotes make me think you have to take care of you in order to take care of your loved ones. Because if you're not healthy and you're not here, then all of this was just in vain. Right. Absolutely. So um, one of the taglines that I use is um, I'm, I'm trying to help people on their self on their self care journey, because as a caregiver, you have to learn to not lose yourself in the process. Mm. And that's what a lot of us do. Yes. And I I consider myself a lifetime caregiver and I have done that. I, I've been, you know, caring for people most of my life and we have to learn how to be a caregiver and not lose ourselves in the process. Right. So um, thank you for sharing that. So along with that, um, share with us how you practice self-care. What are some of the things that you do? Um, I listen to music on Friday nights and I do a radio show <laughs> on Friday nights from mm -hmm. 10 p.m. until midnight. I just play music on a platform and I just sit there and I just have a glass of wine or I'll sit in my car when I get home from the supermarket, the grocery store, and whatever song mm -hmm. is on, I make sure I listen to that song until the end. I don't get out the car wow. until the song is over. I'm sitting in the car. I'm going to hear this song until the end. 
I also spend time with other autism moms. Like when they invite me, I'm mm-hmm. I'm out of the I'm out of here. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go. And before I used to say no, I used to cater my life around Jermaine. Like, oh, he might act up, or oh, he might cry, or, and I I had to tell myself he's okay. Like he's okay, and and, mm-hmm. and thank God I have his brother who who's on the spectrum, but he's he knows how to take care of Jermaine better than me. His his issues mm-hmm. are like I said before with organization. Like he has wires everywhere so I have to once maybe once a month go in his man cave and untangle like 300 wires it's the strangest thing right and Mm -hmm. and he doesn't even realize it they'll be wrapped around his chair his computer chair like they'll be and I'm just looking at him like his his headphones will be wrapped around the other wires and he's still using the headphones just think of your headphone and other wires are wrapped around it and the wire is short and you're and you would not think to use it that way but he does and i have to go and tell him sometimes like do you see that the wire is is tangled up and he'll be like oh and his glasses mm-hmm. like my 20 year old like i have to clean his glasses like his glasses will be filthy and these are the things that i notice as a caregiver. he he doesn't he doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't even phase him me and his father's father when his father mm-hmm. comes he's like Yo, dude, like your glasses are dirty. He's like, they are. Like, so these are the little things that we know that why he's classified on a spectrum. Because right. you one of us, we get a speck on our glasses, it's driving us nuts. His glasses will right. be sticky. You can't see through them, and he's still wearing them. So mm-hmm. I you know the way that I, I just care for myself. Even I'll just come up in my room and just sit like just sit and think I'm also very much into essential oils I love essential oils I there's oils on in my house all at all times different smells that relax me and comfort me and remind me that I'm important so aromatherapy is big for me too you know and I I eat snack I treat myself to snacks to to just snacks yes snacks (laughs) snacks are my treat for being a good caregiver (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I baked some chocolate chocolate chip cookies at 11 o'clock last night oh yeah see <laughs> everybody yeah it was quiet everybody was asleep and I just had me a treat that's that self-care <laughs> right there people don't understand yes. like moms listen that's that self-care at 11 o'clock it's quiet in here let me go make yes. some warm chocolate chip cookies and a little tiny bit of milk yes mm-hmm. yep so um so where and how do you get support do you go to support groups or um where do you, do you as a family friends where do you get support from my biggest support is my 20 year old he he's just like I don't know what I'm gonna do when he leaves but I'll be okay he's just such a great mm-hmm. you know support he and it, and it doesn't even bother him like he's so and that's another thing about children on the spectrum especially him once he gets into a routine as part of his life but I get support from um, Nason's place is a, a non-for-profit and a woman who runs it, Nadine Abubakar, she does a lot of things for the parents. Like we had the spa day this Saturday. It was a breast cancer awareness, but it was a spa day and they invited us as autism mom. She had a spa day a couple of times in the summer where she just did that for the parents. She'll do, um, you know, just nights out. Like is there's another support group that I used to attend, but I'm really far away from it now that really, really, changed my life my goal autism they really changed my life when I first found out Jermaine had autism because I knew nothing and I met this woman and she invited me and I used to go once a month to the support group so I surround myself with people who know what it feels like to be an autism mom because I'm not knocking my family and my friends 
um, or other people who try to support me and who just don't get it because they just don't know about a child having a meltdown. They don't know about a child pooping, um, um, smearing poop on the wall. They don't know about a child mm-hmm. who does not sleep. They don't know about they don't know the devastation of a child who won't eat anything but chicken nuggets for five years. They don't understand when a child puts on their iPad and plays the same song and loops it over and over and over again for two hours. So to be able to sit down and have that conversation with other parents right. who understand is a relief. And they like, you mm-hmm. too? And I'm like, girl, yes. if he would have played that yes. song one more time and they get it. So, you know, when we get yes. together, we just get to have, share these stories that we understand. And, and I'm sure it's the same for someone dealing with mental illness or cancer, just to have that common bond to know like, sis, I know, or brother, I know what you're going through is a whole nother form of self-care as well. Absolutely. I remember when I went to my first support group, I was like, oh, you mean that ain't just happening in my house? Right. Like, I, I was really, <laughs> it was just so like, oh my gosh, like it, it was just, I can't even describe the feeling. And I barely talked that first night because I like my mouth was just open. Like, yep. oh my gosh, like they get it. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, that's huge. So in a second, I want to get, I want to ask you another question about your mom in a second. Okay. I, um, I had that to talk about that, but um, before we do that, I think you've, you've kind of touched on a lot of this already, but I just want you to, um, what are some lessons learned or, um, suggestions that you want to share with other caregivers just to encourage, motivate, and inspire them. Um, to me, this whole talk has been motivating and inspiring, but is there anything specific that you would like to share with them? Yes. Um, be kind to yourself. Like, don't, when you have moments, like I said, th- this is the one thing that I really want caregivers to give, to get. When you have moments of, I just don't want to be a caregiver anymore, this sucks. It's okay. Be kind to yourself. Mm-hmm. Say it. It does suck at times. I mean, it has its I have some beautiful moments with my boys and some milestones that come, but those hard times really suck. And I want our caregivers to understand that we get to say that. And and also again, like you said, we have to make sure that we take care of ourselves. We are just not caregivers. I have a whole nother life. Like I have other things. Mm-hmm. I have dreams and hopes and aspirations. And I, and I know for a lot of autism parents that I see, you know, I see them, they're, they're not dressed up, their hair is not done. You know, they're giving so much to their kid. And I'm like, I make sure I look good. Like, not all the time. Like, trust me, some days I'll be looking at a hot mess. But I make sure that I take time for myself to make sure, I'm not saying I get dressed up every day, but I make sure I put on a little eyeliner. I make sure I put on some chapstick. I make sure my hair is combed. I make sure I'm just not in, in dirty sweats and, and raggedy clothes all the time. I deserve the best. I deserve to take care of me. And I think that every caregiver should know that you deserve that for yourself. It's okay to take care of you. And for other people who are listening, I, I want them to understand caregivers need care. And I don't mean right. you got to come over and take care of our child or anything, but check on us, you know, send a meal or call me and tell me a joke you just don't you never know how my day was going every caregiver needs care and I'm talking about just some time to let let them know that you're doing a good job and you're important it just means the world you just don't know that you could be changing somebody's world by simply calling them and saying listen 
I know this is hard, but you're doing an excellent job, Trey. Like you, you really mm-hmm. are. And if there's anything I could do, let me know. Cause we really don't, this is not a pity party for us. And we really don't want anything from anybody, but to feel like somebody cares for the caregiver. Absolutely. So, you know, for caregivers month, I ask you all to be a guest on the show. And, and a lot of it was for that reason. Yes, I want you to share your journey. And yes, I want you to help other caregivers. But I also want you to feel special. And, you know, if it's just my little podcast that you guys are on, I just want to showcase caregivers. I just want us to be, you know, out there and doing something else than just what we do every day, you know, taking care of our loved ones. Yes, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So um, Trey and I have never met in person, but we've had several very long uh, telephone (laughs) conversations. And one of them, we were talking about being caregivers for our moms. And um, I will be telling my story. I think think I'm scheduled for December. um, Why I'm considered a lifetime caregiver. I I had to take care of my mom from from a very um, early age. And so we talked about how it can be a trip. Like we take, we, we take care of, younger people, but it's a trip when you take care of your mom, because that whole mother child relationship changes. Yes. And so um, you took care of your mom for a while before she transitioned. And so I want you to talk about that a little bit and um, how, how, you know, about the parent child relationship. And then after you talk about that, tell me would you have done anything different now that you can look back on it, would you have done anything different? Um, The journey of caring for my mom through breast cancer was the hardest thing for me to ever do because we look at our parents as champions and she was a champion, but we we don't look at them as ever being in a position of weakness. So so to see that and and for the roles to reverse, basically the roles reverse, I became the, the caregiver and she became the person who needed the care. And when we're born, our parents are caregivers for for 18 years until we're old enough to take care of ourselves. So to have to feed her, to have to change her diaper, to have to watch her in pain was an experience that I never thought that I would have. And it changed me on the inside to just have more compassion and to encourage other people to have more compassion for their parents because I learned so many things along the journey of her of her going from healthy to sick to transition and the things that she endured during life for me so it was mm-hmm. it was hard to have to watch her not be able to go to the bathroom but and you said if i would change anything i would yeah, i would do it can... all over again i i wouldn't change a thing <laughs> and and i went through the phase of what if i would have took her to this doctor or what if I had done this? Or what if I had done this? But I'm a I'm a woman of faith. I love God and I love the Lord. And I know that the way that it went was supposed to be the way that it went. So I wouldn't change a yeah. thing. We had long conversations. I was and, and and for people who are listening to who are caregivers of those who are going through the journey of cancer or diabetes or, or terminal illness, I should say the best thing that you can give to that person is a positive attitude. My mother lasted way longer than the doctors thought she would. And I I, I was a caregiver also for a friend of mine who passed away from colon cancer, like one of my best friends at 36. 
And they lasted so much longer than the doctors thought they were really based on a positive attitude. Just me coming in saying, you're okay today. It's going to be okay. We got this. Don't worry about it. I remember giving my good friend uh, an enema. You know, she was a young woman and she was embarrassed. Mm-hmm. You know, just imagine somebody having to give you an enema. You know what I'm saying? That's embarrassing when you're right. giving birth. So she was like, no, I'm so embarrassed. And I was like, no, like, we're okay. I got this. She was like, but it's going to smell. I said, I don't care. Like, and when you're, right. when you're a caregiver, you know, remember too that that person mentally feels like a burden. And we, we have to make sure as caregivers, we just have that conversation of, you're not a burden to me. I'm doing this because I want to. So as far as my mom is concerned, I do it all over again. I carry her to the bathroom. I change her diaper. Uh, I break my back. Just if, if I could have her back in that condition, if that was the condition that you get her back like this, I take it. Mm-hmm. All over again. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Yep. All right. Um, thank you so much. And as we wrap up, I, I hope you all are listening real good because Trey threw out some good nuggets out there. Um, a lot of things that will help me. And um, when you're one of the things that she said that I I talk about, um, education is key. I don't know if you heard her talking about when her son first got diagnosed, you know, the doctor didn't believe her. So don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask for a second opinion. Um, educate yourself on the illness, on the diagnosis. Education is key. And as you educate yourself and learn more about it, it's going to take away a lot of your anxiety and fears as you educate yourself. Mm-hmm. And then she talked She talked about um, being honest with yourself when it gets too hard. If it's too hard or you need to ask for help, you know, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to do that. I have my mom here with me right now. I'm giving my sister some respite care because my sister lives with her. And so I have my mom here just to give her a break. Yes. You know, that is huge. Respite care is huge. If you have the opportunity to do that, to give yourself a break. Um, And some of the things, one of the things that you said, and also um, one of the other guests talked about is that now you have acceptance. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with the grieving process, but acceptance is one of the um, five um, yes. big journeys that you go through during the grieving p- process. So, mm-hmm. um, and I mean, it can change, it can change, but it's nice to know that when you, when you get to accept acceptance is a sweet, it's a sp- sweet place to be. Um, and then some of the, my favorite things that you said that I hope you caregivers heard is that every caregiver needs care. You guys, please, please take care of yourself as a caregiver. Don't forget about yourself. She said to be kind to yourself. And she said, it's okay for us to say it's hard. You know, like I said a few minutes ago, be honest with yourself. Um, That is huge. And I put in a post, um, one of my Instagram posts the other day to um, take some time to relax, even if it's just five minutes of quiet time. And you talked about that yourself. Sometimes we don't have a lot of time. Um, to, to have quiet time or, you know, we, we don't have, we aren't able to go anywhere, but you can just go in a room and be quiet for five minutes. Yes. You can go in a room and just take some deep breaths for five minutes and that is healing for your body. And um, you'd be surprised how much that can help you just, you know, get going again. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's caregiving depending on your situation is never ending. And so um, just thinking about those things, um, I love scented candles. I love essential oils. However, 
I got COVID back in March and I lost my smell and my smell is still not back. Wow. And so, yeah. And so I, I missed that. Like it, that was like a huge um, self-care um, time for me is to just sit and be quiet and smell my candles. And I, I really miss that. So I'm, you guys pray with me that my smell comes back at some point. Yes. <laughs> um, so, oh my gosh, Trey, this has been so good. I'm so grateful that you came on the podcast and I think that you are going to help a lot of people out there with um, your caregiving journey that you've shared with us. And I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. You are very welcome. And hopefully you can come back at some point. Anytime for you. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Okay. Everybody hold for some important announcements and then I'll be right back. Sandra is a registered nurse and many of her guests are healthcare professionals. However, this is not a professional podcast nor are we associated with any mental health counseling. Please seek help with the professional provider if needed. You can reach Sandra by listening to the podcast on the Anchor app and leaving a message there. Or you can DM her on Instagram at Caregivers Haven. If you enjoyed listening to Caregivers Haven podcast, please favorite, subscribe, or follow on your listening platform. Okay, guys. Thank you for listening. And until next time, Caregivers Haven is wishing you peace of mind and happy Caregivers Month.